We're going to focus on the epistle lesson for today. So if you want to take out your connection and look at those verses as we go through it, there are two things that I really want to examine in Paul's words there, and the two things are this. What is reconciliation? And what does reconciliation look like? Because Paul uses in those six verses that word reconcile or reconciliation five times. So it's obviously something he wants us to look at, to focus in on, to understand what he's talking about. So we begin by looking at verse 16, as Paul says, So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Do we evaluate people that we see in the world? Do we judge them? Unfortunately, the answer is yes, and most of the time we are using the world's standards to do that when we see someone, those things that seem to come very automatically to us. We look at someone and we evaluate them. Are they wealthy? Are they successful? Are they beautiful? Are they talented? Are they powerful? Are they educated? Paul's saying to us, we are not to judge that way anymore because we have a new standard. We have a standard that I would call the reconciliation standard, which means that as we look at others, we first and foremost understand that we are sinners, that we are broken people, that we are in need of a Savior who came to rescue us, and that I am that sinner, and if I look at someone else and evaluate them, I need to first remember how much I am in need before I look to judge someone else. So Paul says then, as he continues, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. You see, Paul's reaching back into his past, into his old life, much as we see in our world. And we know that mantra of how the world looks at Jesus. Those words that we hear often, a good man, a fine teacher, a prophet, a moral person, someone accepting. But never in the world will the evaluation of Jesus lead anyone to believe that he came for a purpose, a purpose of reconciliation. For they cannot see him that way. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit creating faith in one's heart can anyone know who Jesus truly is. And as Paul reaches back into that past, I want you to think about what he thought of Jesus in his first associations with him. Paul thought that he was a false prophet, that he was cursed by God because he was hung on a tree in his death, that he was a threat to Paul's own religious tradition, and that he should be persecuted along with his followers. That's why Paul says, though we once considered Christ this way, we no longer do. Because Paul is now saying we are those who have been reconciled by the power of the Holy Spirit through our baptism that allows us to see who Jesus truly is. That's why he can go on to say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. 
New creation was something that the prophets often spoke about. A time when Messiah would come, a time that all things would be set new. Though that picture they didn't really understand. They didn't know the fullness that would come when Jesus came into the earth and gave his life for all of creation. The creation would be restored. It would be renewed. It would be redeemed through him. And Paul's saying this comes through Christ, this new creation, for the world doesn't have this power. The world as we know it is powerless to affect the change that Christ has brought into it because the world is powerless to change hearts. Oh, we know if you watch the news, you see that every day in the hearts of men and the tragedy that comes. And we know throughout the ages all that's been attempted. We know that we can impose laws or policies to make things different, but it doesn't change the heart. We know that we can try to work through education to change minds and to make new mantras in people's life, but it doesn't change the heart. The world is powerless to solve what needs to be solved in our world. But Christ alone, Paul is saying, has that power, has the power of new creation that comes to transform and to actually change our hearts and make it new. You see, it's not like the world where it just is an effect of a moral change from outside. Christ affects us in that new creation, in that transformation that takes place through our baptism, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that what we knew and how we understand things has changed. What we used to love is now new, for we love in a new way. How and what we understood is changed, and now what we understand is seen through what Christ has done for it. The very things that we pursue and desire have changed in Christ. And the very thing that motivates us and the place where our hope is placed has changed because Christ has made us a new creation. And it's not simply just a touching up, a reconditioning like we might think you do with an old car. For the language that Paul uses in that word reconciliation is language that means we are better than ever, better than new. That's what Christ has brought to us in this reconciliation. And Paul goes on to say, and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. All this, Paul says, is from God. It's not mutual as the world would embrace something. We didn't do anything. It is God who initiates, and we simply reciprocate to what God has done. And he alone does and did this at the cross. We simply respond to what he has done. In Jesus' death on that cross, it was done for the world and for us. And Paul uses language that says this is an accomplished fact. This happened at the cross. It is finished, is what Paul's saying. It is done. Our acceptance doesn't validate it. It's valid without us. The resurrection is the proof of the validation that God 
approve the sacrifice of Jesus, that it was done once and forever. But what Paul wants us to know is the world does not know this. So the work goes on. The ministry of reconciliation. Well, that's what reconciliation is, but what does reconciliation look like? There was once a family, a mother and a father and a young daughter by the name of Charlotte. They lived a happy life, as anybody would. But the mother got cancer and eventually she died at a fairly young age. And the father did his best to raise his daughter as a single parent. When she became a teenager, she got involved with the wrong crowd. And she began a pathway in her life that would eventually lead to her destruction. She became addicted to drugs. And eventually she ran away from home. In her life, away in that addiction, she looked for ways to support that habit. And unfortunately, she turned to prostitution. Well, that eventually led to her contracting AIDS. And it eventually led to the point where she was dying. In that state, in that sorrow that she lived in, she thought once again about the life that she had lived with her mother dead, with her father. And she said, you know, I'd like to see him one more time before I die. So the few friends that she had got together and pooled their resources and bought her a bus ticket back to her hometown. And she took that bus and she arrived in the evening. She made her way up the street that she used to live on and she stood outside the yard by the fence looking at the house. She could see her father through the kitchen window working. And she said to herself, Oh, Daddy, I so want to come home. Suddenly her father came out onto the porch, turned the porch light on, and yelled out, Charlotte, come home, I love you. I forgive you. Daddy, she said. And suddenly her father turned. He made his way over to the fence to see her. Daddy, how did you know I was standing here, Charlotte said. Her father said, I didn't know that you were standing there. You see, every night since you left, I come out onto the porch, I turn the light on for you, and I cry out in a prayer in the darkness, Charlotte, come home, I love you. And I forgive you. I prayed that someday you would come home so that I could see you once again. What does reconciliation look like? There was a pastor who was a little upset with one of his members because she claimed to have conversations with God. She had quite a following at her house of people who would come and meet They would pray together and they would wait for her to tell them what God was saying to her. You know, the pastor thought that it was getting out of hand, so he decided that he would visit her. He came to her house and he said, I know that you are claiming that you have conversations with God and that God talks to you. I simply want you to know that's just a matter of your imagination. And to prove it, I'm going to ask you something. You asked God this morning to tell you what the three sins I confessed this morning are. If you can name those back to me, if God tells you, I'll believe that you are having conversations with God. And the woman sat and she prayed for a while. And then finally she looked up and she said, you know, I asked God to name your three sins. But he told me 
he doesn't remember anymore. What does reconciliation look like? The Scripture tells us as far as the east is from the west, God has removed our sin from us and remembers it no more. And Paul says to us, and he has committed then to us this message of reconciliation. We are charged by Paul with these words to reconcile the two things that the world cannot reconcile. For it sees God as a God of wrath and punishment, and it hears that we say God is a God of love and mercy. And those two aspects seem irreconcilable to the world. And they are. Because Paul says the only place that the reconciliation between those two things took place was at the cross. And the world rejects the cross. Therefore, it cannot reconcile God's wrath. And in its attempts to do so, it uses us as the reconciliation. Our pathway, our good works, our things that we do, or whatever world religion we want to follow. When we attempt to reconcile God's wrath in order to receive his mercy and his love, but without Christ, the two will not reconcile. That's why Paul goes on and he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, and we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, as an ambassador, we carry the message of hope with us into the world. The message that allows us to speak that what was done in Jesus is indeed finished. The reconciliation was completed on the cross. He did this for the world, as Paul said, not counting people's sins against them. And he did this for you and for me. That's why Paul can say, be reconciled. Understand what Christ did. It is finished. It is done. You are loved by God. Your sins have been taken away. You are forgiven. You are a new creation in Him. He has given you His Holy Spirit, a spirit of power and a spirit of strength. He has removed from you your sins and remembers them no more. That's what reconciliation is. That's what Paul's talking about that has happened for you and for me at that cross that Christ has given to us as a gift. And what does reconciliation look like? Well, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. We know that story. Familiar as it is, the prodigal son. The wayward son that went away and returned in despair, only to be embraced, only to be set back on a pathway of life, a ring on his finger and a robe placed for him, and a banquet in his honor by an ever-loving father who embraced him as a son that was lost and is found, who was dead and is alive again. And so we are embraced in our faith by our Heavenly Father, reconciled and renewed and recreated in Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what reconciliation is. And that's what it looks like. Amen.